This is the Tame Aperture Podcast. Open the pod bay doors, Cal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the Tame Aperture Podcast, where we talk all things movies from first-time directors, indie, art house, and much, much more. Today on the podcast, we talk the 2009 Greek drama film by Yorgos Lanthimos, titled Dogtooth about a husband and wife who keep their children ignorant of the world outside their own property and well into adulthood. The film is Lanthimos's second feature film and was nominated for the Best Foreign Language Film at the 83rd Academy Awards. I'm Gabe Bienendahl, filmmaker, film instructor, and movie enthusiast, and I'm joined, as always, by veteran podcaster and editor, Mr. Alan Martindale. Alan, how the hell are you? <laughs> um... I, I, uh, I, I'm speechless. I'm speechless. That doesn't happen to me very often. I'm, I'm usually very long-winded, but after this one, man, those credits started rolling, and I stood there staring at the screen, expecting some revelation to hit me like a ton of bricks, and it never came. I don't, yeah. I don't, know, I don't know what I just watched. I, I still don't entirely know that I, you know... So I don't think I can walk through it. I'm having a hard time compartmentalizing what it is I saw. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it's, I think we'll be able to break it down. For sure. <laughs> At least to a degree. But, but it, it's going to be a little more of the untraditional where we're kind of jumping around back and forth. We're not going to be able to walk through a linear storyline ultimately. I feel like it's a little harder to do that with this particular film. Let me tell you why I chose this one first. Uh, we've kind of been going back and forth on our choosing. You'll choose one, I'll choose one, you'll choose one. Kind of, this is kind of the system that we've established. So a few episodes back, we watched The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yeah. Starring Colin Farrell. And we both came into that podcast uh, had not seen that film and we walked away even going into it we both loved it right we hadn't discussed it but we both enjoyed the film quite quite immensely we both thought it was a really well put together movie so i thought <laughs> <laughs> well hell this this yorgos lanthimos this greek filmmaker he's he's got it together he's doing some exciting and surreal things because the lobster was great too the Lobster was great, absolutely. And I'm actually excited for his upcoming film. And the name skips me at the moment, but we'll get to that. And, there, and I watched the trailer for it, and it looked really good. So I thought, well, let's... And I had... Uh, I was talk, So here's how... I was talking to my older sister, avid listener of our podcast. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks Shout for, out. Thanks for listening. We got 12 subscribers now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And I, and she goes, yeah, I was, she's like, I want to watch, I've always, I wanted to watch that killing of a sacred deer. Should I watch the uh, film first or should I listen to your guys' episode first? And I said, well, Alan says it right in the episode. He says, stop listening to us and go watch the film. So I said, watch the film first. She says, yeah, because I'm really interested because about 10 years ago, I saw one of his films. I know who made the killing of a sacred deer it's called dog tooth and me and my uh friend esther were both like we walked out of that going what was what what <laughs> what's going on so i said wait what was the name of the film because i hadn't seen it and she says dog tooth so i started doing a, a bit of small research i started looking at dog tooth and i go wow this could be something quite interesting so this is where this was the this was the, the opening into the, to, to, to picking this particular movie was because we both loved the film that we saw, two of his films that mm -hmm. we've seen. My sister didn't say she loved Dogtooth, but she said, I walked out going, what the fuck? Which, exa that's exactly what I would expect after watching The Lobster and Killing of a Sacred Deer. I would expect nothing short of walking out saying, oh. what the fuck? Right. This is just but that's intriguing, right? Because then you're the, the curiosity. And we said this in the podcast with Killing of a Sacred Deer, which was like, I'm just constantly curious. I'm constantly like, what's next? Right. And so with this one, I, I, I thought, let's do it. 
So that's why I chose this particular one. I am a fan of him as a filmmaker and my sister kind of alluded to it as well. So here we have Dogtooth. So that's the introduction to it. And the confu let, let, let the confusion of the breakdown begin. So I, I'm going to make a, a prediction. I'm predicting that both of us will come out of this podcast liking the movie more than maybe we did going into it. Because that tends to happen on this show. Like we tend to, we'll talk through things and end up enjoying it more. The discussion makes us enjoy it more. I'm, I'm, that's my prediction. And I'm hoping, cause I, I don't, I don't dislike it. I think it's very well made. I think he hits all the right beats. It's just the, the, the subject matter is, is just so out there. And I, I don't quite understand. So, ba I mean, basically, the premise is these two parents are this mom and this dad are keeping their children sheltered from the world to an extreme in an extreme way. They're not only keeping them away from other people and away from the outside of the world, they're keeping them in the house, but they're also teaching them things that are wrong. Like they're teaching them that the wrong meanings of words and they're teaching them that cats are killer animals who will kill you and rip your flesh apart. And I don't, the thing that, that really is kind of made me disconnect from the movie a little bit was that I, I don't understand what the motivation was. I don't get it because the precise care that they took to fool their children, it almost felt like they were conducting an experiment of sorts, but I don't get the sense that that's what they were doing. So I'm not quite sure what the point of it all is. Yeah, I think the uh, and, and great introduction into this because basically you have these and these are adult children too. Right. So this isn't this isn't as though it's a ten year old kid being told about how a cat is a killer animal. In a in a it, these are twenty plus year old kids or adults, and I agree with you. I don't know that it's ever really established in terms of what the motivation is. I think if at least initially we look at it and say, hey, you look at all Yorgos's films, there's always allegories. Right. True. So once again, we can fall back into this idea that maybe there's an allegorical tie-in to something. What? I'm not 100% sure. I have some ideas. We'll get into those. But maybe there's something there and it's just that. But I think the motivation from the parents is some kind of it, – it almost feels – uh, not fascist, but it feels like uh, overpower. It's a power play. Yes, uh, and, it, it, and I don't know how else to. It, 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 the reason I'm not sure quite yet, but there's something to do there with power. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, obviously, the father is like the dictator of sorts. Like he's the guy in charge. And a, a good example of this power is that they they've told the children that. When airplanes fly across the sky, they can sometimes fall to the ground. But when they get to the ground, they're just model airplanes. So they're, they don't understand the idea of perspective. Like I'm further away from something, so something smaller. Uh, they just see an airplane flying on the ground and, and they say, I hope, it, I hope it hits the ground. I hope it falls. So that way I can go get it. And they have like a collection of these little model airplanes. And... What happens is the, the parents hear an airplane and one of them will, will run and grab a model plane and throw it somewhere in the yard and then they have to go find it. And I don't, it, it's just bizarre. And then the idea of blindfolding them and having them find their way from different parts of the house to out to the yard. Like, I just don't understand why are you doing this? Like, I, I think you're right. There's got to be some sort of metaphor or allegory going on. And I don't know if he's, I, I just don't know what it is. I, it doesn't make any sense. It's I was intrigued the whole time, but I just didn't get it. Yeah, I think I think if I was to guess, and like I say, you know, we will go. We say this all the time, which is I'm not one to pretend like I know exactly what every filmmaker is doing. That's the beauty of movies, though, right? Is we get to look at them from our lens, and then we get to decide what they mean to us. I think that's the beauty of, of film. So if I was gonna take a stab at some kind of allegorical. Um, comparison to something it has to do with power like we mentioned but also has to do with some kind of control so it, it regarding potentially 
political or governmental control and uh, dictatorial leadership, right? And so um, maybe there's something there that we could explore a little deeper. But yeah, I mean, these, these, I, what the, the example that you shared with the plane is really the most, it's the, it's, it's the least of all the craziness that's going on. Like, you know, a plane and not understanding perspective or seeing a plane up in the sky and then real is hoping it falls as if it's some kind of toy. And then the parents playing into it as getting model airplanes, et cetera. That's like the least of the craziness. <laughs> it, it, it really is. Because even in the opening 20 minutes, <laughs> and I don't know if this is good or bad. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw this up in the air and see where it lands, <laughs> which is, I know where you're going. You, it's, it's the father brings home. She's not a prostitute, but he, he, he basically picks up the security guard, a female security guard at his work. He blindfolds her to drive her to his compound, his house. I call it a compound because it almost feels like that's what it is. Mm -hmm. It's gated off. You're not really allowed out. It's hard. To, it'd be hard to get out, et cetera. And he drives this female security guard back to the house. And the next thing you know is the female security guard and his son, his adult son. I say son. and I want to clarify that he's an adult. They act like they're, they're like teenagers. But they act childish. Yeah, they act yes, like they're child. You're absolutely children. right. This is another common theme I see in his films, by the yep. way. There's a lot of childish mannerisms in adult characters. You That's know a good point. I mean? Very good point. And, but, but he brings this female security guard home who he is. We find out he's paid to have sex with his son. Yes. And I just don't get it. I mean, and, and I bring it up because we're talking about model airplanes. And then the next thing you know, He's he's keeping his son at the house, prohibited from the world, but yet still at least, I guess, accommodating certain primal, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's strange because obviously they know that the, the son is at an age where he has needs. And so they go out and they find a woman. And I mean, she for all intents and purposes, she is a prostitute. Like they're straight up paying her to have sex with him. Only it's, it feels more than that. Like it feels more uh, like, yeah, she's there for him to, to be able to have sex with, but she's also kind of a companion for the other girls. And it's just, it's a weird, they have more uh, reverence for her and they, they kind of, they almost treat her almost as if she's not, I don't want to say part of the family, but as if she's, you know, a, a distant relative or something. Like they give her gifts in, in appreciation for, you know, what she does for them. And it's just a weird, weird, weird thing. And I, it, I don't, I don't quite understand. I think he told the story very well. And I do want to say that, like the I think the way he presented this world and the way he kind of unveiled certain aspects of the family, I think it was done very, very well. Um, it's just so bizarre and out there that I just don't, I almost feel like I, I need to watch it again to have a better grasp on it. But honestly, this movie kind of made me uncomfortable and not just in, in some of the violent parts and not just on some of the, you know, uh, the risque, very taboo parts, but just overall, it just made me feel, I don't so know. You, you weren't okay with um, the security guard uh, not getting, oral sex from the son. So then going to the daughter and asking for oral sex from the daughter in exchange for her headband or for a headband. No, I wasn't okay with that. I was not, I was not super comfortable with that, but, but it is interesting because even that kind of serviced the story because then you, you realize that they don't understand the idea of giving a gift and giving, you know, goods or services in return for a gift. So, you know, when she says, I'll give you this headband if you lick me, 
from the rest of the movie, the daughters. That's think, a hot take right there. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, that's exactly what you I'm said. Gonna, pretty I'm gonna much. put that on our website with <laughs> just your 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 audio. Just just make sure to clip down that audio and ruin any potential for a job I will ever have in my life. Uh, <laughs> but but from then on, the daughters they think that's how you obtain objects is, and they they don't even view it as a sexual act. They just think yeah. like, I'll lick your shoulder, I'll lick your ear, I'll lick your cheek. Like, that's how I'm going to get what I want because they were taught this lesson for the very first time. Yeah, I mean, there is a, and, and they do that throughout. Like, there's some kind of, it's almost a, for lack of a better way to explain it, because they've been ex, uh, secluded from uh, the natural, I'll call it the natural world, for whatever that means. But from the outside world, the, the licking is a form of affection in right. a sense. Right, right. Whereas for us, of course, is completely absurd because they've never experienced anything else. They don't know how to weigh the difference between what it could mean or what in terms of what our culture views it. Yeah. So it's that 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 was strange. And they also don't I like what you said, because I don't think they, they, they don't understand the value of um, possessions of things because she does it for a headband. Right. Right. So it's like they're like anybody in their right mind <laughs> would never do that for a headband. Exactly. But because they don't know the value of what it is and it's different for, I guess, I guess it's different. I don't know. Maybe it's not, but they don't, they don't go into headbands in throughout the film, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's different. So she does it in exchange for a headband. So this is how they're, like you said, the, the service offer in the exchange for things that, seem absolutely ridiculous yeah and the, even the fact that the daughter awful offers a pencil in exchange yeah. you know she's like it has an eraser it, it just it's they're so so sheltered and i think this is the part that made me so uncomfortable are seeing these people who are grown adults and they don't understand the most basic of things and it, it really does make you angry because they were robbed of a, of a life and that's why I think I was trying to find the meaning behind it and the, the motivation behind it, because you cannot rob these people of life um, for for no reason. I mean, there's got to be a reason like it just it felt like there had to be an experiment going on or something. And I don't know if you thought this, but remember, they were talking about their brother behind the fence that I took that to mean that they had another child and he escaped or got out or something. Is that is that yeah, what, that was that? that's how I interpreted it. I don't know that he was actually real. Was he? I think he was because the daughter when they were having the the wake for him, one of the daughters says, you know, I gave you some items to take with you and I'm sorry they couldn't protect you or something along those lines. So I I am under the impression that he bailed, like he somehow got out. I was yeah, that was a, a part of confusion for me. I I wasn't sure if he was actually a, a real actual brother or some kind of figment of their their imagination in which is a good point so, because these parents will make up anything they'll just they'll they lie about the meanings of words for n absolutely no reason <laughs> the, the the funniest one to me that stood out when it comes in regards to that was when they start playing um fly me the dad puts the record on mm -hmm. the vinyl and it's uh, Fly Me to the Moon. I think that's Frank Sinatra. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And starts playing Frank Sinatra, which of course is in English. We should probably identify to those listening that this, of course, is it's an international film, a foreign film. So it's not in the English language. It's subtitled. And, um, and so when they're playing Fly Me, Fly Me to the Moon by Frank Sinatra, the father is interpreting to his family what Frank Sinatra is saying in the song, but it's not the true interpretation. Not only it's that, this, it's this interpretation of this fantastical <laughs> tale about kids that leave their parents die and all these kind of crazy things. Not only that, for some reason they, they lied to the kids and told them that the person singing was their grandfather. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's just so many weird, random things. Like, you know, when the daughter says, can you pass me the telephone? 
And really, she and wants the salt. the salt shaker, you know, but she's they, they've told her that's a telephone. What is I mean, this is like some 1984 shit here, you know, where they're, they're changing the, the meanings of words. But I think you're right. And this is what makes it feel experimental. And it does actually spawn some curious thoughts where it what to me, that's what I kept kind of falling back to, like what happens to a human being? that is an interesting thought, right? Which is like, if you grew up in this, everything that we identify that has meaning, if it's, if you're growing up in a different quote unquote context, right? Like in a different, everything's completely twisted and different. That's intriguing. Like it's, it's, and, and, and also terrifying. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it would be it would be fun to see, you know, the results of this sort of experiment if it weren't so cruel and it the whole thing that just locking them up. And it's just it's just so sad. The whole thing is so sad. And even the way that the siblings have conflicts with each other, man, it goes violent fast. Like yeah. it is like immediately one sister is is slicing up the arm of the brother with a knife and it's just, it's so bizarre and it's so over the top. And I, I get why, because that's what they've been taught because their punishments are always violent. They're, they're always getting, you know, hit or, or smacked or whatever, but man, that just like, it goes from zero to 60 super fast with the violence. Absolutely. The, the violence turns extreme quick. Yeah. And, and, uh, going to this idea of this system that the mother and father have created, is a system of punishment reward. The punishment, like you said, is extreme violence. They're basically just beating the shit out of their children. Right. If they've done something wrong. So the sister cuts the brother's arm. And then next thing you know, the mom's just beating the shit out of her in her bedroom. <laughs> it's, it's just horrific. And then the opposite of that is these rewards that they get. Like they're in the swimming pool and they're doing these kind of test trial games. And, when they do good, I can't remember. If they're not holding their breath. I forget. What are they holding their breath? It's the, there's a game they're doing in the pool. And when they perform well, they get stickers. And, and they, they count, they, they count up who has the most stickers. And that person gets to choose the reward or the entertainment for, for one night of the week or something at dinner. I don't know. Like it's, it's the whole thing just, just reeks of like a science experiment. But these the, parents are, I mean, there's not, it's not. Well, and then the entertainment's weird because the entertainment's basically oh, Jesus previously Christ. recorded <laughs> material of the family. When they're watching that video, I mean, that's, that's their movie right there. That, that, that's, that's their entertainment is, you know, we watch Killing of a Sacred Deer. Or we, you know, we talked about, um, so I married an axe murderer. Like we watch these fun movies to entertain us. These guys are, their form of entertainment is watching their past memories. I mean, they have them all memorized. Like they're lip syncing along with the video. It's, and I know it's not some experiment because they're keeping this thing very, very secret. Like they are locked away very far away. Um, I don't know what the dad does to afford this huge estate. He, He works in some factory well, he leaves every morning and goes to work. He's the only one that gets to leave the gates of the compound and he goes to some factory. Right. And it doesn't really go beyond that, right? So you don't really know what he's doing, but apparently he must be doing decent because he's living on some nice estate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's a straight up villa. And and uh even is even the wife isn't allowed to leave, which yeah. is the weird part because she's in on all this thing. But she's she's just as subjugated to him as the rest of the kids. Because he, I mean, he straight up makes up a lie to his coworker of why the wife's never around. Like he says she's in a wheelchair or something or tragic accident, so that way yeah. she doesn't ever have to show up. <laughs> like it, it just if it, it feels like Pol Pot or like Kim Jong Un or something, you know, like just totally these elaborate lies to keep people subjugated. And I wonder, and I, that goes back to what we were talking about. And that we'll get into that now. Cause it's like, man, that's probably, I think some of that allegory or some of that observation, which is you have cultural and political, uh, 
you know, countries and, and regimes that basically do exactly what the dad's doing to his three children. Right. And when you start digging into it that deep, you start opening up a huge bed of curiosity. It's like, man, that's, that's deep. And that's, I think one of the things that I've always, that I always kind of like about what he's done and like in, in his films, you know, like, I don't think for me, this film is like the greatest film of all time, Mm -hmm. but there's something that makes it difficult to take your eyes off of it. Yeah. And I I think that it, that comes down to how he tells the story. I think it has to do with the bizarre. Yeah. Like everything. Cause, cause what, what's the next bizarre thing that's going to happen? There's a scene in there where the son and it's done in this dark humor because the, the, the son is now hunting a feral cat that's out in the backyard with big old garden scissors. Oh my God. And the next thing you know, he's basically, <laughs> he's, he's tearing its head off. I mean, you don't see it because the other thing is with the way Yorgos films, I've noticed this too, like another little trademark is that he does a lot of, he cuts a lot of frame. So like a whether it's the heads yeah. are cut off or it's just bodies or you don't see the entirety of the human or the subject in front of the camera. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Frames are cut off. So you don't see him actually tearing the cat apart, but it's all, in, it's all basically insinuated. But that's so strange. And, and, and the two sisters see it as some huge, huge ordeal. It's a know? monster. You know, they've never seen a cat before. It's a monster. Exactly. It's like if you ran across a bear in the freaking woods. Exactly. And like, <laughs> that's how they're treating it. And, and so, they, they also, I mean, they bought that dog and then they sent, the dad sent it away to, to have, to be trained, to be a guard dog or whatever. But yet they, they tell, the parents come up with an idea that they're going to be pregnant again. Like they're going to tell the kids that they're pregnant. And this is another, again, this is a way to, to keep them subjugated. If they're good, she won't give birth. That's what they tell yeah, that, him. Yeah. But if, uh, but if not, she's going to give birth to twins and a dog. So that's how they're going to introduce the dog to the family. And the, the fact that the, the, the two girls are so adamant about not wanting to share their bedrooms. Yeah. Yeah. The right. most five-year-old answer in the world. Right. It's, I just don't, I keep thinking about, because I didn't think about the whole, maybe the allegory and the metaphor of governmental oppression until you had mentioned that. Because it does make sense. Because you think about it, the dad, they're controlling the information. They're controlling the language. They're controlling the media, what comes in and out. Uh, and the only threat to the family is really this this outside person coming in. Yeah, and the single source. The single source, right, exactly. So that that's pretty much how, how these oppressive governments work is you control the narrative, you control the media, uh, you tell people what, what to think and, and how to speak and the meaning of things, and you, uh, you eliminate any outside influence. Right. And if there is any outside influence, you, you make them an enemy immediately. So that, that's an interesting, I hadn't thought about that. Now it's starting to make a little bit more sense to me. I'd still like and to, I'll, go ahead. Because there is that, you know, I was just gonna say to, to what you're saying, because Christina, who's the security guard who they hire to have sex with the son also goes and starts making relationships with the daughters but eventually the mother or the the father is is not um pleased with the relationship that christine is doing he basically wants to get rid of her and not bring her back ever right because she's infiltrating the information and the system and she's bringing in new thoughts and ideas that the father doesn't agree with she literally brings in movies you know like outside media fun entertaining media uh, which is a completely against his system right right and uh i'll go ahead no you're good i was just gonna say that one scene see it's not funny i don't want to laugh because it's definitely that's a question i have for before you finish that thought because isn't it though that's what it it says i read a lot of these reviews and some of them are saying black comedy dark comedy I, you know, like I didn't see any humor in it, but 
the thing, well, the one, the scene I was going to talk about that I thought was kind of funny, even though it's, it's really messed up is when after the daughter gets caught with the videotapes and the, the father's looking at the, the tapes and he says, bring me the duct tape. And he's duct taping this, the, one of the videotapes to his hand. And you're thinking, what the hell is he doing? And then he just immediately starts beating her over the head with it. I mean, it's not funny, but there's, it's kind of comedic the way he went about it. Like it was an elaborate way to, to punish her. But it, it, that was the only part where I even got a chuckle. Because I read that too. I read, you know, this is a dark comedy. There's some comedic moments. I didn't think there was much funny in here at all. I wasn't uh, overtly laughing at much of any of the film. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there were things that were strange enough to make me chuckle. Mm-hmm. But but I think I think you're right in that scene in particular, and also let's just say that scene's done. It's done extremely well, and those actors really went for it. I don't know how they faked a lot of the violence in this. I mean, and I that, keep saying violence. Not fake. That that scene is legit. That is a hundred percent legit. I feel like, and I I wasn't there, so I can't speak to it. But watching that, I went, wow. They committed. The two of them got together and committed to do this scene because he's beating the shit out of her. It's real. He's hitting her hard. And then when he goes to Christina's house to confront her about the tape about bringing the tapes in, and he unplugs the VCR and smacks her over the head with it that was real too there is no way i mean the way this thing is shot even the cat when when the when the son went after the cat that was in one shot when he went after when he stabbed it i mean he kind of got in front of it but it looked real enough to to disturb me a little bit the only thing i can say is maybe those garden scissors those big garden scissors were a prop a soft prop I hope so. Man, I don't because they did. He got extremely close to that cat. So man, I don't know. It was, and then earlier on, you see a, a guy beating a dog with a stick. Like there's just there's some things that that they looked real. They're probably not real, but they looked real enough to be disturbing. And you know me, like I love horror movies. I love the gore. I love all that kind of stuff. But when it's real, I it it's disturbing. That's when it gets difficult. It's a different and and once again, you know, you go back. To, to the trademarks of Yorgos. And I feel like those are trademarks that run across the movies that we've talked about up to this point too, Mm -hmm. you know, quick turns to violence, these, and all the environments are also really uh, bland. They're also like really sterile. They're just like (laughs) completely, they're dry, you know, like there's no vibrancy to these atmospheres even in the garden you know it's it's the garden and it's still just dull super dull the pool super dull everything about it i mean even the road they live on is just barren and dirt and gross yeah the color of the film the Mm -hmm. way that it's shot it's all it doesn't mean it's not beautiful in the way that it's executed or at least done well but yeah it's very it's very bland very sterile um but those those scenes of violence are uh, props to those actors because I really think they win for it. I really, really do. I mean, I don't know how else you can film around that, like you like you mentioned. I mean, even so. uh, towards the end, because they they tell the they tell the children that the only way children can grow up and leave the house is when their dog tooth comes loose, which is talking about their canine teeth, the uh, the sharp teeth in your mouth. Yeah, the vampire teeth. The right? vampire teeth, right? And that's the only that's that's how you know when a when a child is ready to leave the house. So obviously that's never going to happen, you know, but when that, when the older daughter is in the bathroom and you kind of know what she's going to do, like you get, you get the hint because she's got that little weight. She got like a a tiny dumbbell weight on the counter and man, but she just takes that thing and out of nowhere starts smacking her face with it, trying to knock out her dog tooth so she can leave. And even that. I mean, even if that thing's a prop and is like a nerf, like a nerf weight, that's still, that's still got a sting. The way the force she was hitting it with, it's very, very well done. Like it's, again, I could put up with a lot. That was disturbing to me. Yeah. I mean, and, and those, I think those little types of scenes are, are sprinkled throughout. There's mm-hmm. like just disturbing things. I think the actors, the full commitments there and, and it makes for a, 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 an uncomfortable watch. Oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, you could say that again. <laughs> Let's talk about that. I want to talk about this. Uh, so we, we kind of talked about this briefly, 
but Christina, the security guard, the prostitute security guard, um, <laughs> she, she, what, what I do find interesting is that the daughters kind of do start to figure out Christina's kind of feeding or, uh, valuing shitty stuff. At first it was a headband and then it's this. And then eventually she wants the, the daughter to give her oral sex, but she, the, the daughter refuses. Right. And she's like, and, but I want all those tapes in your purse or in your bag. And there are these movies <laughs> like, uh, what were, what was the, the ones in there? Um, the Rocky and Rocky flash hands and, uh, and jaws jaws was in there. Too. Jaws. Yeah. And so I loved that part. That part to me was, uh, they've only because it's like finally one of the characters that's in this oppressed environment is getting smarter like right they're understanding even in a slight way right and i'm not saying that you're smart because you you value jaws or but you should absolutely um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a fucking movie podcast i'll say it um <laughs> or and rocky flash dance eh, yeah. we can slide by yeah but rocky and jaws i can go with um but but at least she grows into that but what i loved is how he incorporated those into the story later because now she's been watching these movies and she's basically reenacting different scenes in her throughout after she's watched them she's doing the rocky scene and she's i love the, i love that the colored dye colored red water whatever it is and doing the slow motion spits yep, and the i hits love and the that so much it was so good and then he, she's doing the jaw scene where she beat, she pretends to be Jaws and is basically attacking her brother. Oh in the God, pool. that that may have been my favorite scene in the whole movie. She goes once again. She goes all in. She it's not just straight, like a right, fun right. attack. It's not like two kids just playing around. She like full. She falls on Jaws. It feels it, it feels like watching real sub real life siblings, because that's the kind of shit that that I would do with my brother. Like you just go over the top when it's your sibling. Like you go Espe after him. I feel like especially. Oh yeah, you do. Especially when you're young, like you just don't mm -hmm. have any kind of control. Right. So you just let it go out. <laughs> right. And even though these are adult people, they are, like we've mentioned, they're childish. So she just goes all out. Oh, yeah. Basically takes them out like Jaws. And uh, and I loved that. And then it kind of leads to the last one of the last ones where they're doing this party and she started <laughs> she starts oh doing God. the flash dance dance. Oh, my God. <laughs> just say... <laughs> It's not quite as it's not quite done as well as the original. Let's just say that. <laughs> I just love that. That's the parent. That's a parent's form of entertainment is having their children. One is playing a guitar, and the other two are just doing the most bizarre dancing you've ever seen in your life. And the parents could sit there and watch it for hours. It, it it's bizarre and it's uncomfortable to watch because she can't dance like Jennifer. Oh Beals. no, no, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> so then, uh, basically they get the, she gets the movie tapes. Right. And then like you mentioned, we, we talked about this scene earlier, but the dad finds out and then his, he reprimands her by beating the shit out of her with the VCR, with the tape. Um, and then this is when they try to extract Christi eventually they try to extract Christina out of the picture, mm -hmm. right? Cause she's a bad influence on the system. And then, um, the night after the flash dance scene or the night of the flash dance scene, she knocks out one of her dog teeth, right? Like you mentioned, uh, with the dumbbell. And then she hides in the trunk of her father's car. She well, gets before we get there, I, there's one important scene that is the most uncomfortable scene in the whole movie for me. And I think this was pretty much what ultimately led to her bailing. And that's when Christina or Christine is not there anymore. So the father forces the son to choose which of his sister's he would like to have sex with instead. Of I was, I was trying to get over that scene. I know, no, but to but me, you're like, right. You got to bring it up. Bring, keep going. It, this is the most uncomfortable scene in the whole movie. It is. It's horrible. It's horrible. And, but there was, okay, this was another part that I laughed at. And I don't remember which movie this is from, but she's been watching these movies. And so she's, she knows the quotes. And right after she's done, she goes, 
bitch, if you do that to me again, I'm going to gut you, I swear. And it, like, it just made, it made me bust up laughing because I thought she was really saying that to him. And then I realized, no, it's from a movie. Yeah, she's re- she's reciting one of her movie lines. Right. We'll get into it. We got to talk. I mean, we'll <laughs> go finish the part with with the father's. So anyway, test. Uh, his, it, his test, his test. So in Jesus, we got to We got to bring it <laughs> we gotta up to do it. We can we can skip past it <laughs> quickly. This was one of those uh, almost triple F moments for me because this was like fuck i gotta fast forward because they're just it's just that's not. when you hope that's when you hope you're so i'm so just real quick i uh we know what the triple f is it's the fucking fast forward mm-hmm. when you watch on amazon prime you get a 10 second skip yep yep now it, other uh, i think uh netflix is also a 10 second skip i think I, so if i'm if recall so here's the thing though alan i watched this movie on tubi t-u-b-i have you ever heard of I've this never that? heard of it it's a free movie platform, right? It, it's it's cool because I mean, for like stuff that you just want to watch for free. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So check it out. I, I happened to run across it, and I saw that this movie was on there when I was ready to watch it. So I started watching. The disadvantage is you get like one or two thirty-second commercials. Okay. Gotcha. But but it was free, so I figured go for it. But here's the advantage. Okay. Tubi has a thirty-second fast oh, forward. Thank so, God. So you're getting a three for one is what my point is. <laughs> mercifully, mercifully giving you a, a 30 second fast forward. I'll have why to check would we that want out. that, Alan? Uh, we would want that because uh, in order to choose which sibling he would like to have sex with, the, uh, the son is put in a bathtub naked and his two sisters are brought in blindfolded, naked. Blind, blindfolded. Blindfolded. And the two sisters are brought in naked and he basically just has to feel, feel them up. He's got to feel their breasts. He's got to feel their butts and find out which one he likes better. And it ends up being the older one. And so that's when they, they, I mean, it's incest, straight up incest, brother, sister. And it's so disturbing. And I think um, this is the thing I didn't quite, I, I didn't quite understand about the son because when you're, when you're at that age, I mean, you're in your twenties or whatever, you're definitely, you definitely have the needs. Like it's, you know, you definitely are feeling the sexual, uh, pull and, and you want, you know, you, you have those needs. Uh, Absolutely. but he approached everything very businesslike. Like he, it almost didn't even occur to him. And I would imagine that I don't have a sister, but I would imagine that you're not even if you're raised in a completely sheltered environment, you're not going to ever be attracted to your sister. Would right. just be that's the natural way of things, but he still approached this like a very like a business transaction, and he was just kind of fine with it. And so I I don't know that I guess it kind of goes along with the movie because there's a lot of things that are just kind of strange, but maybe it's more along the lines you know subjugated people they have to do some things that are pretty horrible because they're forced to. And I also think that you're right. I think innately. There is no attraction to a sibling. Right. It's just it's innately not there. And I think you, you brought something up that was interesting because throughout the movie, there are various sexual encounters with various people, including the mother and the father. Uh, we mentioned some with the brother and Christina, the prostitute security guard, the sisters as well. But you're right. It's interesting because every sexual interaction is a business transaction. Right. Good point. There's no emotionality. There's no quote unquote passion. It's just plain and simple. This is what you do. And then it's done. Right. And I found you're right. So that was kind of interesting too. And also because he's, he does, maybe that's because he's been subject, he's been subjugated and he's been confined to the space. Maybe that's how he sees it. I don't know. It doesn't excuse it. It's still disgusting. (laughs) Yeah. I mean the, the older sister, you could tell she, you know, he was, he was just kind of going along with it. He didn't seem to have an emotion one way or the other. The other sister, the older sister was not enjoying it. You could tell like it was not, it was, this, this was a painful experience for her. Yes. They had two almost kind of different, different responses right. to what was happening. And you know what? God damn it. Your ghost just wanted to linger on that scene for as long as possible. Like, it's like, I have, I already feel super uncomfortable. We don't need to stretch this out any longer, please. 
That's once again when you wish you were watching too because you could get the 30 seriously. seconds fucking fast forward. Seriously. <laughs> I smell a new sponsor coming. <laughs> yeah, uh, some, definitely look, some extremely uncomfortable moments. Um, but then getting to, to uh, kind of getting past that now, she knocks her dog tooth out and basically kind of escapes, runs from the compound. And she gets in the back of her father's car in the trunk. And then it just ends. At the, like it, is it at the plant? Does he find the car at the plant that he works at, the uh, factory? Well, or he, is it... because, so she's just in the trunk. He runs out of the compound, kind of runs up and down the dirt road looking for, they don't even think to look in the car. And then I well, guess. They all go out searching. Right, right. Well. The, the mom and the mom daughter and, and son are are on their hands and knees barking like dogs by the gate. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because <laughs> they taught him how to do that. Because quickly there is a scene where the father t- teaches them to bark like dogs so that it puts fear in whatever they're trying to scare <laughs> or something. <laughs> oh, my God. This whole thing. I like how that's our throw in. Uh, yeah. We're, yeah. Kinda, we're getting closer to the end of kind of summizing the story. And that's our throw-in scene. And I'm sure- our throw-in scene is a dad teaching his kids to get on their all fours and bark like a real dog. And I, I, I'm sure there are a lot more too. Uh, I mean, this is kind of his mo. He just has weird shit. Like when we talked about killing of a sacred deer, uh, I was telling the story about how I was talking to Jess, and I was trying to explain it to her. And I'm like, I just, there's no way I can explain this movie. And I kind of feel like we're in the same boat here. Like it just doesn't. We we just can't. It's you can't get into the once again, yeah, you can't get into the layers. I think we did a little better with this one. Mm-hmm. Trying to dissect it. We we jumped in early with our diagnose uh, we diagnosed it as a allegory about governmental control. Yes, yes. <laughs> we're going, we're sticking with it and we're running I like with it. it. We I gave like some it. some scenes. I think we did a little better so far on this one I, in I think terms so. of the breakdown. <laughs> So, but she gets in the car, and then uh, I guess the next day the dad drives the car to the factory, and she's still in the trunk, I guess. But does she ever get out? Does she? Is she die in there? I mean, I, I don't. How do you end the movie there? And scene. I I, I don't. And movie. Actually. And movie. Yeah. How, I, I I don't know how you how you end the movie there. That's Elfine. It's over. And, question mark like you know like i just don't under i don't i get that this movie doesn't need to have like a a traditional ending but that's a straight up cliffhanger right there like is she ever going to get out does she die in there uh there's got to be some sort of insight into into her fate well let me ask you what happened to her i think she she died in the trunk i think she died she's just sitting dead in the trunk I mean, maybe it's like a, someone trying to defect from North Korea, you know, like it's it's maybe you get out, maybe you don't. But it's a very dangerous prospect. Yeah, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. Yeah, you don't, you might not make it out alive. Right, right. That's so, some dark shit. It's very- <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. When you put it in those terms. Jeez, Alan. Uh, that's an understatement. That is some very dark shit. Man. <laughs> But that's, I mean, yeah, that's it. I think these are, you know, he's got those trademarks though. Um, Yeah. The, the childlike stuff, the surrealism. He's got, of course, these ambiguous endings, these endings that, that don't give any resolution at all. Because even the other, like you look at killing or the killing of sacred deer or lost, there's no resolution. True. It just ends and it's open-ended. So that's kind of like you mentioned, that's his MO. That's his, that's part of his autorism. Like he's as an auteur, he's like, Hey, this is what I do. And it seems like he sticks to that pretty, you know, pretty strongly. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm again, I'm not against that. I kind of, I like it in some circumstances. This one just left me particularly frustrated though, because I've just I throughout the whole movie I was just so outraged that these kids were put in this situation in the first place and that there's no real reason behind it other than I, I think the the dad just you know Napoleon complex that's my theory he just he he just wants to be a big man for someone he wants to be in charge of someone 
But it looked like he was he was a boss at the factory. I mean, I don't think he was an underling by any means. I, I don't know. The whole thing is I the more I try and analyze it, the more I don't understand it. Yeah, it's not as though he was and, and this is not a knock on those running the line or the assembly line, but it looked like he some kind of higher management. So it feels like he would have had some kind of power elsewhere. Right. Um, but for whatever reason, he 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 had to bring that that power home. It's um controlling, it's manipulative, um it's it's kind of scary. <laughs> very. Very. Yeah, very scary. I agree. It's it's very scary. I what I found interesting about this and then we'll, you know, is this was nominated. So here's here's this isn't trivia, but this was something that I found interesting about the film is that essentially the entire country of of Greece really got behind this movie. They love it. People love love this movie. In so much that kind of that was their submission to the Academy for an international film, for foreign film. And you know what I mean? Like we're submitting Dogtooth for an Academy Award. Um, And and I find, I mean, so I don't know if it's a, if it's something to once again, I think that's why I think there's some kind of allegory about government. Um, but it, they submitted it as a, as a nominee for the, their, their nominee for Academy Award, which they loved it. So culturally the country really got behind it. I don't know that there's a film in that sense that other, like who gets behind films like that in terms of a country. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. So there's definitely, and I don't know enough about Greek history and especially that era of European history. I, I don't know what was going on that might really resonate with the people there. Um, it, it feels like I'm probably missing something. It just, cause I, I can't, I get the idea. I get the metaphor. I get all that. I'm just not sure the overwhelming love for this movie. I mean, it's not bad by any means, but to me, it's, you know, the ratings that this thing's getting, people love this movie. And I they really I, do. I, I feel like I'm missing something, like a, a piece of context that would make it connect more. I mean, look, it won at uh, Cannes Film Festival. It won at Dublin International, so in Ireland. Um, it won, I mean, if I'm going through this list, and I, there's, a, there's a handful of them, Stockholm, so, and then of course was, was nominated for uh, best foreign language film from the Academy. And the thing that's interesting, he says the film was chosen unanimous, unanimously by the Greek film committee to represent the country at the Oscars. Wow. So there was no, no second option. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's good. Tell me, Okay. I have a little piece some trivia here. I've got some other ratings, a couple, couple pieces of uh, information on the film that I find interesting. Give me a little summary about this watch. You've now seen The Killing of a Sacred Deer. You've seen Lobster. This is the third, unless I'm mistaken, the third Yorgos film that you've seen. Yep. Give me a summary of it and then throw me your rating on this one. Uh, even when he is doing things that are very difficult... And I think most filmmakers would not have been able to make this as interesting as it was. I think there's a lot in there that he did to make it to, to keep me going when I otherwise probably would have turned away. Like he's just, he's so good at building a world so odd, but so intriguing. Like you want to learn more about it. You don't want to just write it off as some odd, weird you know, world he's built. You want to learn more about it. So for him, I am still absolutely in love with his craft. I love what he does. Uh, this movie's not quite for me. I, I liked a lot of elements of it, but it's just not, it, it just, like I said, I was uncomfortable for most of the time. I think that's kind of the point. So I think he was successful in that, but I, it's not really my, not really my thing. Uh, incest and violence towards animals and, all that kind of stuff. Not not something I'm going to go in all in on very often. So uh, that said, I still think he like he's masterful at what he does. I think he built a, a really cool mystery. Um, 
not mystery in the traditional sense, but you just want to know what's going on. You want to know what's happening and what other crazy lies that these parents come up with. So I'm going to go 6.7 videotapes. Nice. 6.7. Yeah. Okay. So. And if you would have asked me, I, I think I was right for me. If you would have asked me right after the, I finished the film, I probably would have gone low sixes. Yeah. And I think your prediction is accurate, uh, which is we always kind of, when you start discussing it and starting to find those little, those little grains of salt and those little things that, that the little hidden things in there and the meanings and the layering, you always kind of tend to start to increase your score. So, yes. True. You appreciate I think it. More. Your prediction was right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we'll get into mine real quick, but I just want to, so we have IMDB, IMDB's got it uh, currently at a uh, 7.3, right? And the Rotten Tomatoes has it, which which is exceptionally high. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at uh, uh, 93 or 92%. Um, that's the uh, critic score. And then the audience score has it at 76 so still pretty fair. Yeah. Right? Like not, it would make sense that the critics would come in at 92. I would have been surprised if those were reversed. Uh, yeah, I would have been shocked. But, but sometimes we'll get those surprises where the critics come in real low and yeah. the audience comes in high on a film like this, which is art house, et cetera. And that would have been kind of interesting to, to see, but it's not the case here. Um, the film's 96 minutes long. It's uh, Kino International Film Studios. Uh, the film was released uh, in theaters in June of 2010. Uh, it's rated R. That's interesting to me that it was released in 2010 because it looks like it was shot in the 70s. Yeah. And I think the, the, the film which they used to shoot it and kind of his compositions and his framing and the way he puts it together kind of really... I think he was hinting at that. I think the idea was to kind of make it feel older. Yeah. I don't know. Once again, it could have to do with, with trying to match some of the stuff. Maybe that was, maybe it was, you know, something happening in the yep. set. I don't know. I don't want to dig too deep, but yeah, it had that seventies vibe to it. Um, the entire film, here's a couple pieces of trivia though. The entire film was shot uh, on one lens. I find this to be interesting. Wow. So the entire film, because that, that's, that's quite strange, but they shot the whole thing on a 50 millimeter. Wow. So, so that's kind of cool, which, which is always cool when they just go with one lens through a whole 90-minute yeah. picture. That's, that's um, very interesting because, I mean, there's a lot of wide shots, a lot of close-ups too. That's very interesting. He um, <laughs> maybe he just didn't know what he was doing and he just chose a 50. That <laughs> could <knows>. be. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He definitely knows what he's yeah, doing. He knows, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> Um, yeah, interesting piece here. The children's names are never given. So you don't ever really, uh, are, you're never able to identify them by their name. Um, the first film from Greece to be officially selected for the Cannes Film Festival in a decade. So that's when it came out. That was the first one in, in, over, in just over a decade. Um, <clears throat> and here is something kind of alluding to what you were saying, which is interesting. It says, uh, it's it's a lot like the 1973 movie El Castillo de la Pureza. I've never seen that film. Uh, director Yorgos Lanthimos has never spoken about the similarities between the two movies, but apparently there's a lot of common themes between that movie and this one. It's called. It must. It sounds to me like that's a um, Spanish film, El Castillo de la Pureza never from seen 1973. It. Maybe he just ripped it off. Right, it could be. It's worked for Tarantino. <laughs> it's worked for a good handful yeah. of filmmakers, I think. Um, oh, uh, interesting thing here. The late actress, uh, Mary Sony, who's the younger daughter, so she must have passed away. And she I saw old. that. I saw that. She had a punk band, Alan. I know. I, I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, all right, I got to find out more. Yeah, she that's, died. Uh, she wasn't even 30 when she died. Yeah, that's too bad. But she had a punk band. 
Interesting. It was Na- Mary and the Boy. Was the punk? Band. Never heard of him, but I'm gonna go check him out right now. <laughs> That's cool, though. She's a punk rocker. Um, the title comes from one of the lies that the parents tell the children, so that they will only be ready to leave the household when their dog teeth fall out. So that's a pretty simple one. So to kind of summarize it, put it put it uh, together for me as I kind of break it down. Like um, this is Lanthimos's second feature film. This guy's got a command of of, of the process. Uh, like it can't you know hard to digest some of the stuff that and content that's put out there but this guy is he's pretty good at what he does very and um so i I, there's an appreciation level there for it it might be that that i have to read one one top of a of a review that i found uh hilarious here's the opening line to a review by just a google review right dog tooth Maybe the most fucked up film ever. <laughs> it's in the running. There's, I have to read some of this. This person's great. <laughs> Can't say I'm overly familiar with Greek cinema, but this certainly takes the cake as the best and worst Greek film that I've ever seen. <laughs> That's a pretty good summation. It is. It, it's, it hits it perfectly. The best and the worst Greek film I've ever seen. So that that kind of uh, puts it together for me. There's some there's some stuff I agree with there, which is he's doing something right because mm-hmm. I'm continually sparked by curiosity. Once again, we used that I used that word a lot when we were doing Killing of a Sacred Deer. Probably people wanted to punch me for saying curiosity all the time. <laughs> um, but but it, once again, his bizarre nature and putting things together that just keeps me entranced for good or bad for violence all the different things that he does none of the stuff which i condone but stuff that i look at and go man i'm continually just intrigued by whatever it is he's doing um it doesn't for me rank as one of his best the ones that we've seen and and talked about at least it's not up there in terms uh of of surpassing either of uh the lobster or the killing of a sacred deer um there's small bits of humor for me. Uh, maybe that's my dark and twisted side. Ultimately, there's some real disturbing stuff too. When I watch the film, um, it's not one I would watch again. So <clears throat> unless for some reason to, to do some kind of analysis or essay, which I wouldn't do, but if I was doing that, of course you would watch it again. But other than that, I wouldn't watch the movie again. Whereas with the killing of a sacred deer or the lobster, I'd watch either of those. And that's that's part of your criteria too in grading this the movies is that is how rewatchable they are, right? For me, it is yeah. because I want to I want to be able to see like and both of his other ones we I would watch again for sure. And so this one not as much, and and it may have to do with some of the disturbing nature of it. Um, but I think ultimately. Um, this is a good, well put together film. I think he has a command of the film language, film grammar, uh, impressed with what he does. And so I would say that I would put this, I'm probably pretty close to you. I'm going to say 6.5 airplanes. Nice. That's a good one. 6.5 I should say 6.5 model airplanes. model airplanes <laughs> <laughs> that was my runner-up I went videotapes but I, I that was my runner-up you had you had uh, model airplanes as your runner-up yep, I did well I'm glad I got it then <laughs> <laughs> look if you're interested in if you're interested in oral sex incest violence <laughs> uh, odd behavior <laughs> absurdity surrealism, childlike characters, and sterile and bland environments, Dogtooth is for you. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, it, it, it's worth watching if you're interested in uh, Yorgos's filmography. I think I really think it's worth watching. Just know what you're getting into, and if you're just on the fence, eh, skip it. Yeah, go watch uh, The Lobster. Yeah, go watch The Lobster. Because I feel like if you're going to compare the ones we've 
at least the lobster, there's a lot more. It's still kind of dark, but it's not the same kind of dark. Right. There, the, Does that make sense? It, it, the, the dark comedy hits a lot harder with the lobster. Yes. You get that sense a yes. lot more. Yeah, you can categorize that into the comedic humorous section a lot better than you can with Dogtooth. Yes. But overall, I mean, uh, go check it out. I agree. I think if you're into his work, and I am, I've since we've been doing a couple of his uh, films, I, I'm kind of more and more um, kind of falling in into this this kind of uh, into his onto his team. Like I like what he's doing with a lot of stuff. Yeah, know? like so, I, I want to see the favorite. Uh, that's one of his. I think it came out in 2018. And there's a couple more that that I, I really want to go through his filmography and just even the shorts that he's done. I want to see him. Yeah, those short films are. Uh, look pretty pretty intriguing too he came out i thought i had thought i had saw something that he had a new one coming out and it looks like as i'm looking through at least right here i don't see anything immediately um there was the favorite was the only was the most recent one and that that has uh emma stone in it and rachel wise yeah so that's a pretty those are pretty big so far most of the films with the exception of colin farrell are are uh kind of unknown talent but uh those are some pretty big names yeah it's definitely worth checking out i think that that that's my guess based on his his previous work it looks good yeah well this is uh dog tooth this is the tame aperture podcast uh gabe and alan uh go check us out at tameaperture.com for previous episodes and give us suggestions on future episodes to break down and talk about Join us in our community over there at the uh, website and also on all streaming platforms, including YouTube. Go check it out. Thanks, everybody, for listening and take care. The Tame Amateur Podcast is produced by Dutch Angle Pictures in association with Studio B Productions. Listen, watch, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and YouTube.